From the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here's your host, Rocky LaFleur. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. Also starring Josh Webb, Jake LaTondras, Rob Kroon, David Ellis, and Ramsey Russell. Showtime. Right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Ducks House Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. And I've got a little bit more of a voice than the guy that's joining me, Jake LaTondras. <laughs> Jake, you sound pretty rough, brother. I mean, you just Man. got back from Kajakistan. Is that right? <laughs> Tajikistan, yeah. There's a whole bunch of stands over there, and they're kind of confusing. But I was in in Tajikistan, which is on the northwest border of Afghanistan. Wow. And we were, yeah, that was. So now I've been to, I've been to the the, uh, let me see, the south. Let me see. I'm sorry, the northeast border of. Afghanistan on the Pakistan border and then this time we were all the way on the other side of Afghanistan on the north northwest side so I've gotten to see uh, a lot of Afghanistan the last year or so that has got to be an interesting place um, you know there, there's so many uh, there's so many questions that could be asked that, you know, for the curious person that that's never been over there like myself, mm-hmm. but how, how, how did it go? How did the trip go overall? Well, honestly, I mean, as far as safety goes and travel and getting in and out of there, you know, it went really smooth, but, and this may be up for another podcast sometime, but we had a complete disaster on the trip. Uh, the outfitter did not. He was very disorganized, and he and he's an American outfitter, and he didn't get the the, the funding for the tags in until we got there. And we never. My my client, the guy that I was filming, Christianda, he never even got to hunt the markhor, which was the feature animal that he was supposed to hunt, and it's a very expensive hunt. And it was very disappointing because he he pretty much got hosed on the whole deal. So we actually flew back four days early, and it was not a good scene at all, <laughs> if I could say wow. that. Yeah, it's really disappointing. So <clears throat> he'll have not only have to get a refund. Excuse me, one second, Rocky. <clears throat> he'll not only have to get a refund or try to get a refund. He's gonna have to reschedule the trip, and it's—I mean—it's expensive just to fly over there and back, you know. And there's a lot of logistics and travel 
there's a lot there you know there's a war going on in Turkey right now in Istanbul and we flew in and out of Istanbul on a connecting flight into um, Dushanbe Tajikistan so again it's fairly complicated I mean it's not really but it's kind of complicated and uh, we got to rebook the entire trip so Chris was a wow. happy. yeah it was a Jeez. mess but you know one of the things that I realized, Rocky, about traveling abroad and doing, I mean, it's the same as far as traveling in state. I mean, or in the states, when you do a lot of traveling, say for hunting, whether it's going to different places to duck hunt, going to Canada, Mexico, all over the U.S., or doing big game hunts in Central Asia or the Middle East or, or Africa or whatever it is, if you go enough, you're going to have issues that come up a certain percentage of the time. So as disappointing as that was and as negligent as it was on the outfitter's part, it's still part of, you know, it's part of the risk and part of the challenge of hunting internationally that comes with the territory. Hmm. I hate to hear that because you, you were over there, what, a week and a half? Yeah, I was supposed to be there two weeks, and we we came back like nine days after nine days. We'll get into that one a little bit more next week. Um, hey, I got to ask you before we get into the main topic of discussion today. Yeah, you got to be feeling a little bit better about your volunteers, man. Man, I will tell you what I'm on the I'm on the Jeremy Pruitt train now because you know they're playing they're playing with some chemistry now, <clears throat> and they look like you can tell they may not be the most talented team on the field, but they are definitely playing as a team and they're playing for each other, and the defense is keeping them in games. They're still struggling at quarterback. They don't have a a true leader at the quarterback position yet. And that's where they're lacking. Otherwise, I mean, I mean, I, w- I was in Tajikistan during the Alabama game, but I was trying to keep up with it on my ESPN app when I had Wi-Fi in and out of Wi-Fi. <clears throat> and it looked to me like Tennessee played Alabama, even though they got beat by two touchdowns. It looked like they played them pretty doggone tough. Is that right? Problem with that game, Tennessee. And I haven't said this in a long time, and I know this gets referenced towards Alabama a lot, mm-hmm. but on that particular night, Tennessee had to play Alabama, which is good in itself, but they also had to play the refs. And I know that's a phrase that's used a lot when it comes to Alabama. But that no, game I heard in, that. Wow. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that they were fighting. They were big 10 refs. Is that right? It was just totally screwed up. I'm not sure about where they were from, but it was awful. It was a, one That's of the worst. Camp, it was one of the worst call games I've ever seen this year. This That's year. what I heard. And I heard Tennessee had a chance to take the lead before half or tie the game, and Garantano fumbled the ball on the goal line, and Alabama ran it back for a hundred yard. Uh, Fumble recovery return for a touchdown, and that that changed the momentum of the game. 
But it was anyway, a couple of momentum swings of of epic proportions that should have gone to Tennessee's way and mm-hmm. got turned back because of referee calls or That's what penalties. I heard. I'm glad to hear you say that. <laughs> Because I, I am, I'm, I feel much better about the the way they're playing. And, you know, again, we all know football is a team sport. And if everybody does their job and plays for the guy right next to them instead of playing for themselves, you know, those are the teams that end up, you know, winning championships or at least having really good seasons. And that's what it looks to me like uh, Tennessee's finally doing. So I'm going to ride the, I'm going to ride the Pruitt train for a while. I like that guy. I think Tennessee's going to be fine. The SEC East is going to go back to – I think yep. it, you're going to see a shift back to the East of the yep. late 90s proportion. Yep, yep. Where Georgia, everybody Florida, in the and Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. But it'll be that – it'll be a dogfight between – South Carolina may have to get a new coach. I think Muschamp may be tapped out there, but um, – it, it, Tennessee, Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida. Florida is obviously ahead of Tennessee's progress, but Tennessee's coming on, and I, I think I think it's going to be that same old, you know, three-headed monster over there again at, at some point. Maybe maybe two years from now. I knew you were down about them after the first <laughs> couple of games, which anybody down. would have been, but but <laughs> man. Now, I would be proud to be a Vols fan. Hey, main topic of today. One of the main reasons I wanted you on this podcast today. I want to remember one of the great ones. And it's a great Mm -hmm. one that some of the people that's listening to this podcast have have never heard of. But a a lot of you that, that pay attention to the outdoor industry, outdoor TV world, Jerry McInnes. Um, Yeah. One of the legends, we we lost him on Sunday, I believe. Is that correct, Jake? Yeah, he died at 4.16 a.m. on Sunday morning. And, you know, I get emotional on this show a lot because we talk about personal things. And I may have cried myself out of this one already, but it's definitely going to be an emotional topic for me because while I'm probably not – the most qualified person to talk about Jerry McKinnis because I've only, I only worked with Jerry a short time, but his family did so much for me over the past almost 20 years. And Jerry, I mean, dude, Jerry McKinnis is the most iconic figure in in outdoor television ever like no one's even close no one can even no one's resume can even come close to what jerry mckinnis has done and to say that leaves so much out of the discussion because when you talk about jerry mckinnis you're talking about someone that built a platform that allowed every single entity in the outdoor television world to thrive because he built he built outdoor television from the ground up and there's a wonderful story 
about how he did that and what he was doing at the time. And he told me that I was one of the most, one of the most honorable things that I've ever been a part of was about seven weeks ago, eight weeks ago, two months ago, Jerry had invited me to be the field producer for what he was calling was his last run. He wanted to make one last run at outdoor television. He's 82 years old, and he wasn't, you know, feeling all that great. And he looked good for 82, he, man. Jeez. He did. Oh, the guy could freaking jump over a fence, too, man. I mean, it, it's just... The guy, the guy's a superhero, man. I'm not kidding. He's like Superman at 82 years old, you know. And he invited me out to Wyoming, and uh, he he went to a ranch that he goes to a lot with Coach Bobby Knight, um, Henry Fonda, you know, the Fonz from Happy Days, um, Con Smith, who was an NBA basketball coach, head coach of Indiana State, and an assistant coach to Bobby Knight for many, many years, and he was the the assistant head coach for the um, for the Dream Team, the Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson Olympic gold medal Dream Team, and um, I was able to meet some of those people at this ranch, and we were doing profiles, and, and basically he was doing the fishing hole all over again with with my technology and red cameras. And his all of the knowledge that he's he's that he's you know amassed over the past uh, whatever 50, 50, 60 years of outdoor television, and as it turns out, we didn't finish the project. We got everything shot, but we weren't able to finish the post production because he got sick a week, literally a week after he got back from this trip. He got really sick, went into the hospital, and he fought he fought septic infection in his entire body for six weeks, up and down. It was a ma- it was a massive roller coaster ride. He was in and out of a coma for six weeks, and he finally couldn't. His body just couldn't handle anymore, and he passed away Sunday. It was, Jake, for it those was, Jake, for those that don't know about Jerry G, just being outdoors was uh, the brainchild of his, correct? Yeah. So he had a show that he started way back when called The Fishing Hole. Most people over 45, 40, most people over 40, probably remember not even maybe maybe a lot of people over 30 would remember the fishing hole because it was the second longest running show on ESPN on ESPN second only to sports center it ran it aired on ESPN for 44 years and and it actually aired on television for 54 years which makes it the longest running television show in the history of television on any network. It 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 was the longest running show ever in the history of television. If that doesn't wow. tell you something about how good it was, then I don't know what does because most television shows have a, a shelf life of about 7 to 10 years. 
even, you know, iconic shows like Friends or Gilligan's Island or, or The Love Boat or whatever. Most shows last seven to ten years and then they're done. And his lasted 54. And wow. he, he told me the story. This is really great. And I'm going to try to keep it short, Rocky. He was sitting in a hotel room on a business trip. This was back in the 70s or, or whatever it was. Count back 40, probably 50 years ago now. He was sitting in a, ho a motel watching television. He was flipping. He was, he was you know, dialing through the channels watching TV and they had cable in this it was when cable first started and he flipped through the channels and he came across an all sports network and it was called the New England New England Sports Network at the time so he watched it and he was fascinated by the fact that the entire network was dedicated to sports sports news and sports reporting so he waited till the end of the show and found out where it was because it was local on regional cable network. And he went to the, he found the location. Like, I, he didn't have Google search and, and YouTube and all that stuff. He figured out where it was and he went down to the studio and it was a double wide trailer house with a satellite dish mounted in the, in the front yard. One of those big old school satellite dishes. And he walked in, and he told him who he was and what he had going on. And he had a show called The Fishing Hole, and he felt like it would fit right into their network. And he was he was really worried and concerned. You know, he dressed up for the occasion and went in and acted all professional. And he said he didn't get much he didn't get much response from them other than yeah, let's try it. So they put it on the show. They put it on the network, and at that time it was called the New England Sports Network, but that was the original ESPN network. And they shortly thereafter, like two years after that, they changed the name to, to uh, ESPN. I believe it's um, Entertainment Sports Programming Network is what ESPN stands for. And Jerry McKinnis was the first outdoor show on their network, and he is the one that developed the entire block ESPN Outdoors. They 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 did the the great the great outdoor games. They did the still uh, timber sports games. They did the Super Retriever series. The list goes on and on. He had Jose Wahebe from the Spanish Fly. Um, I think they were, uh, um, you know, it, obviously he he developed the FLW Bass Fishing Tournament Tour, and then he bought he bought into Bassmaster, sold it to ESPN uh, years ago, ran it for them as JM Associates, did all the production and media for ESPN and Bassmaster. Then they sold it back to Jerry in 2001, and then he, he, he brought Bassmaster to a completely different level. That's when Kevin Van Dam was thriving, Davey Height, all the big name Hall of Fame anglers were were thriving at the time because Jerry gave them a platform to display their skills on. And in my opinion, 
because of that, companies like brands like Strike King and Storm Lures and um, Strand Ranger Boats, Evinrude, Yamaha, Mercury, Lawrence, Mincota, every single brand that is a multi-million dollar company now in the fishing industry owes Jerry McInnes a special thanks and a special prayer today because if it weren't for him, none of those brands would be what they are today. None of them. None oh, of them. I agree. All right, let me let me say this. You know, how we, we spend so much time as, as media people talking about how we're losing hunters all the time. There's one right. part of the outdoor world that's still growing. You know, that's thank fishing. You, thank you, Jerry McKinnis. <laughs> and exactly. You know? And it's thank all you, Jerry owed, a lot of a lot of it is owed to him. A ton of it. Oh. I mean, there have been people that have helped elevate it since then, but man, he built it. He gave oh, them yeah. a platform to stand on, every single one of them. And you know, I mean, it, 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 it's it's like thinking about the universe. I was talking to Kevin Van Dam yesterday on the phone about this, and we were talking about how deep this actually does go. And, you know, it's like thinking about the universe. and You almost have to stop thinking about how far the universe goes because it's infinite, you know, and you just, it blows your mind. Talking about what Jerry McKinnis did to the outdoor world is the same sense of infinity because you don't know where to stop. You don't see the end. There's no way to go back and go, how far back does this go? And how much, how many people did he influence? Because there's just, there's no way to quantify that, Rocky. He was a remarkable man. His children, Matt, Mike McKinnis, and Matt McKinnis, and his daughter, Shannon Nardi, three of, uh, three colleagues and Shannon's one of my best friends and Matt's a very dear friend of mine and Mike is my director my studio and executive director at Bassmaster still today for JM Associates so he calls all the live shows he calls all the camera switches when we're shooting live at Bassmaster and for me to tell you that I work with these three people. Shannon does the Super Retriever series. Um, she did. She was the uh, producing editor for Jose Wahebe's uh, Spanish Fly. Matt McKinnis, he's the producer and editor for Into the Blue and Saltwater Experience TV shows. And again, Mike McKinnis is the uh, executive producer. No, I'm sorry, the executive director for Bassmaster through JM Associates. And the fact that I get to work with these three people is so remarkable because they taught me everything that I know about television production, how to shoot, how to steady your camera, when to cue your talent, how to position your talent, how to write a scene, how to filter a scene, how to edit, how to cut, how to, how to transition, how to add music, how to bump your audio. I mean, Everything that I know comes from Jerry McInnes' offspring, and I owe that family really my life because they've given me so much in my life. And I, I, I like 
I'll, I'll start crying if I even if I keep talking about this because I, I I can't even explain to you how valuable that family is to the outdoor world and people more people should know about them. Not that they want to be on a pedestal because they don't, because they just do what they do. But these they are deserve remarkable. It. They do deserve it, Rocky. We probably wouldn't even be having this freaking podcast right now if it weren't for them because they 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 gave everyone ideas on how to do things differently and how to do things better and how to be a professional. And I tell people all the time, when I'm working with young people, I get frustrated a lot and it shows and through my through my, you know, body language and my hell, my language. <laughs> and it's because I got to work around these kinds of people in my life. And then when I go back and work with young people that, you know, that want to be professional, they're not yet. And they, they, and they don't know that they're not because they don't have anything to compare themselves to. But I do because I compare everyone that I work with with Shannon, Matt, and Mike, and Jerry, and the entire crew, the teams that they build around their production companies to accomplish the goals that they have in their lives. And when you go from that to something else, it's 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 there's a deflation there because or a digression there because you go from the top of the game to something else and it's it's a very difficult transition to make because you're working with such professional people best best Jerry McKenna's story you got one before we go um best one is how he got involved with ESPN sitting in that hotel oh, room. Oh, I yeah. mean, I tell people that story all the time because that's were, how ESPN I, started. It's so good. But I'll never forget the first time that I heard the detail. Now, you just kind of told a summarized version of it a few minutes ago. But I'll remember, mm-hmm. I remember the first time you ever told me that story. We were sitting in Habitat Flats in, in Missouri that night. Mm-hmm. We were watching the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess it was Summer Olympics of sixteen, maybe. Yeah, and we were watching. We were, right. we were, yeah. I mean, we were up late that night, and you were telling me, uh, you you were telling me that story about Jerry, Mister Jerry, and that was man. I was just because at that point, I, I'm okay. I, I didn't know the name, but wow, the footprint that you see now of what he's left behind, dude, he is. <laughs> It's a crater. A it's a freaking dude. It's a crater that he left behind. And I mean, when when you when you you know, I work like I said, I worked with him for two weeks in Wyoming, and it was his last project. And the honor behind that is 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 it's so it's so special to me. Because I really don't deserve that. I didn't deserve. There's so many more people like Wes Miller or Carrie Barrett or, you know, there's so many more people that work at JM that have been working with Jerry for 17 to 30 years that deserve to be there. And to be honest with you, and this is kind of funny, the only reason I was there is because everybody else was busy. (laughs) And, and, and I was, I was, available so when he contacted me i said yeah and we bonded we bonded in a way 
uh, tomorrow is his funeral. And I'm sorry, Friday is his funeral in Little Rock. I can't be there because, ironically, I'm going to be on uh, Sam Rayburn uh, Reservoir in Texas shooting a, uh, shooting a, um, some video content for Shimano. And, 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 the, but the, the irony too is that we were sitting there one day out in this pasture in a hayfield. And this is, this is my Jerry story. And Angie, his, his longtime partner went back to the cabin on, in my truck to go get a tripod for another camera. We wanted to run two cameras. So she went back to the cabin, which was like a mile away <clears throat> down a dirt road. And Jerry and I are just sitting there. Man, he's got his notes. He's got his pencil behind his ear. And he's scripting everything down. Like he, he still hand wrote everything on a legal pad. And I still have the very last script for a show that Jerry ever wrote. He gave it to me. It was written in pen, number two pencil on a legal pad. And he gave it to me. So I could use that as a model to build the, the stories when I went to edit the shows that we were going to cut, and and I, they're in my gun safe now. They'll, they'll, they're going to go in. They're going to go in a frame. But anyhow, we're sitting there, and I started asking. He was just quiet. He was just sitting there. And he said, "Jake, I'm glad you're here." And I said, "I'm glad I'm here too, Jerry." And I reached around the corner of my camera and I hit record. And I made sure my audio was on. Uh, he had he was mic'd up, and I made sure everything was rolling. And I started asking him questions. I said, Jerry, why do you do this? And Jerry, why do you help so many people? And Jerry, what was your what was your biggest struggle? And Jerry, how do you become successful doing this? And I started asking all these personal questions that he had never been asked before. And he answered them on camera. I mean, this is where I start crying. Wow. And so we leave Wyoming, and he gets sick. He's already sick. He was in a cast because his ankle was hurting, and then his wrist was hurting. And he had all these little amulets coming up during the shoot, and he thought he sprained his ankle. So he went to the doctor, and he got a boot for it and some crutches. Little did we know it was a septic infection that was spreading around his body that was causing these, these joint pains that he was having. So he gets back to Little Rock, and he immediately goes into the hospital and goes in intensive care and never came out of the hospital, which is where he passed away. So the other day I contacted Sh Sunday, I contacted Shannon and Mike, and I said, you guys, I have an interview with Jerry that is very special, it's very intimate, and I don't think anyone's ever, he told me no one ever asked him these questions before on camera. And so I have all this stuff, I shot it in red, and it's very, it's very, very interesting and very intimate and very personal. And so I email, or I mailed that hard drive to Shannon and Mike yesterday, and they're gonna cut a video I won't be there, but this whole interview, they're going to play the interview at Jerry's funeral on Friday, and I cannot oh, wait wow. to hear the stories. I cannot wait to hear the stories about what people say about this interview, because I'm telling you, it's going to blow people's minds, 
and people are going to be in freaking tears when they watch it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Rocky, I don't, it, I don't deserve to be a part of that because I wasn't a big deal in Jerry's life. But God put me there for that reason, and he, 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 you know, something made me start asking him those questions when we had alone time together. And for that very reason, I'm, I'm especially honored by the whole incident. And I, I, it'll, it'll, for, for the rest of my life, I will forever, because of that interview and the things that he answered, he answered the questions, and they were very, very Jerry, just straight. He didn't even have to think about him because he's so wise. And all the advice I got, I learned from that interview, will forever cause me to have a master stroke of Jerry McInnes in every piece that I ever do from now on. And the most important thing that I learned from him was work your ass off and don't ever cut corners. Because when you cut corners, people can tell. And and forever, for the rest of my life, I will I will live by that interview and everything that I do. I will give you this, man. You are one of the best uh, people to draw personal information, not personal information, but personal details like that. So, yes, I do believe that you were put there by God for that purpose. And, you know, you know, if you say, I don't know that, Rocky, I really, really appreciate that. But it goes full circle back to the reason why I can tell, I can, I can get that out of people is because Shannon and Matt taught me how to do that. And Jerry taught them how to do that. So that went full circle just now by you saying that because me sitting there asking him those questions were caused by him teaching his offspring how to ask those questions. I mean, it's just, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. I've always admired how you get information from people, the ability to ask questions that people are, a lot of people wouldn't could ask the same question that you do and not get the same answer that makes any sense it it does and jerry i'm telling you i did i don't it's not me it's jerry mckinnis <laughs> I, I don't know how to explain that i hope yeah, that makes pretty sense. cool no full is, circle that's, really that's, cool. that's yeah that's really really neat i'm a really Man, lucky look, I, person to have to have had them traject their talents to me for no other reason than the fact that we were friends and they wanted to i'm I'm really lucky so thanks for thanks for letting me talk about this on your podcast rocky oh heck yeah hey if you want to hear more about jake and that that part of the story of his life there there's a huge part in the climb if you go back to spring of what last year no two years ago jake did his story called the climb and Jake spends a, a large amount of time talking about Shannon and uh, that part of his life and how he learned to be who he is today. Uh, it's a great story. Great, great story. If you've yeah, never listened yeah. to the climb. Yeah, but that was a, a, huge, a whole chapter in there. Yeah, there's a chapter about Shannon and, and Shannon Nardi and the 
McKinnis family talking about them and how he got involved with Bassmasters and them and what he learned from them. It's really good. Really, really good. You need to go back and listen to it. Jake, I know you got to go back to scouting for ducks. We will get back. We will talk about that later on this week if you get a few minutes of what's going on in Nebraska and uh, your new role in 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 Nebraska and what you're doing right now. I think it'd be a we can spend a few minutes talking about it this week. Jake, thanks again. And I, I'm sorry to I, I I felt it was my responsibility as a podcast host to spend some time talking about the legend Jerry McKinnis because a lot of people, some people don't know who he is. A lot of people that that are that are younger than us needed to know. They they need to know. But anyway. Jake, thanks again. We'll talk again later this week. We want to th- hey. thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast. Go ahead. Sorry, man. I I I, I tapped out, man. I mean, I, I dropped the call and I called back in at the wrong time. No, it's okay. I was just look. We'll get together later on this week to talk about what you got going on in Nebraska. And uh, I, like like I said, I just thought it was a lost him again but jake thank you again i know you're okay well we'll get back together sometime before you go back out of town talk about what you got going on in nebraska and like i said i thought that we owed this podcast um as a host to talk about him and the large footprint the footprint that's kind of started it all yeah i appreciate that i'm really glad uh you, you gave me an opportunity to talk about that, and thanks for thanks for bringing it up, Rocky. If you want to do it again at the end of the week, I'll be available Friday. Yeah, let's. Well, I want to I want to spend a few minutes talking about what you got going on in Nebraska. Um, I'd love to do that. I'd I'd appreciate that. We're we're. I mean, Prairie Rock's kind of. I mean, I think you said earlier my name's hot, but I think that Prairie Rock's name is hot right now. Uh, a little driving force behind that. <laughs> the ducks. <laughs> the uh, ducks. Hey, Bo Jack, and we'll we'll spend some time on Bo Jackson, man, because that Dude. video came out in the past couple of weeks too. Oh my God, Rocky! I have a great story about that, I, and we should talk about it on the podcast sometime. So I released that. What, what day did I release that? Mon- uh, Last- November first. Four or five days ago. Yeah. So I get a text from the National uh, Marketing Director at Express Boat, Clay Connor, like two hours after I released that video. And and we're not not recording, right? Yes, we are. Oh, we are? Yeah, we're still recording. I was going to (laughs) cut. It's okay. It's PG thirteen. So, well, I want to talk about this on the podcast when we have. No, let's let's do that. Yeah, okay. Let's let's plan on doing it Friday morning. So, so so you want me to save it till then, or tell you this? Yeah, yeah. No, save it. Save it till Friday because, like I said, I want to talk about. Like I said, I want to talk about Prairie Rock, and we'll we'll talk about Bo Jackson a little bit. Okay, you're gonna this this story is gonna blow your mind, Rocky. Oh, we'll. 
it'll, it'll be a lot of fun. We will All we right. will get together either Thursday or Friday and we'll we'll knock it out. So Jake, okay. thank you again. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckTop.com.